0: Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you all came back. I'm so glad to see all of your bright, smiling faces this morning. We, we are going to do something very fun this morning. Well, I think every week's going to be fun. I hope it's going to be fun for you, but this week is going to be the most practical week. I really hope that you pay close attention and take notes, because this is the week uh, where we are going to deal with how to, how to have the everyday conversations that you have with people and how to be most effective in those, in those conversations. This is not gonna be fact heavy, so you're not going to have to remember a bunch of facts, but this is how in all of your conversations, with non-believers, how to take the stress out. I was talking to, I was talking to Ed last week beforehand, and, and he said, oh, so you could call this a stress reduction class. And I said, I said, yes, that's exactly what you can call this. This whole class is just stress reduction. And, and this, this class in particular, I hope that by the end of this class, you will feel relaxed in future potential conversations that you have, that the stress is off of you, and that you will feel so much more confident in going and having conversations with people when they arise. We don't need to manufacture things. The Lord will bring divine appointments your way. It will happen. And I want you to be comfortable in this. So, where I got my material, there is a, there's a teacher. His name is Greg Kokel. And um, all the material, about all the material I'm going to be presenting this morning, is his material. This is his book. It's called Tactics in Defending the Faith. If you go to the Apologetics Conference that I mentioned last week, it is in two weeks. Uh, he is one of the teachers that will be there. He is fantastic. I cannot sing his praises highly enough. He is so accessible. He, he does not uh, use language that is too difficult to understand, uh, even though he has a master's in apologetics and a master's in philosophy. He is, pr- he is my favorite living apologist, and he's just easy to understand. And so he will be presenting on this, and he's also going to be presenting on... Um, I saw another topic he's going to be doing on... Um, Postmodernism creeping into the church in how we interpret Scripture to ourselves, and I know he's going to be doing some other talks. But he he is fantastic, and so this is this is the material that I'm going to be presenting. I recommend you get the book because I'm, I can't I can't present all all of the tactics that he talks about, and he presents so many that are just again it's for average everyday conversations. So. This, he, he started talking about this probably, I don't know, 20 years ago, I think. It was in the 90s that he, that he started presenting on this. And this has really gained popularity as a tactic in conversations. And really what this boils down to, what I'm going to be teaching you, is asking questions. So, for those of you who... Um, who are familiar with Dale Carnegie, how to, how to Win Friends and Influence People. Well, one of the things that Dale Carnegie talks about and, and, and presents is to show an interest in the other person because who do people like to talk about the most? Me. I want to talk about myself, and if you show an interest in me, I'm going to like you a lot. Well, the thing is, with asking questions, this is not a false approach that we're talking about here. We want to ask people questions to draw them out. When we get into conversations, and this this applies, I think, to Christian or non-Christian alike. When we get in these difficult conversations, we feel on the hot seat to present all this information. We have to prove our point we have to give a bunch of information and we feel it stresses us out because we think well what if they say something and i don't know the answer to that what if they what if they tell me something and i'm then it's my responsibility to refute what they say and what if what if what if what if well this is a completely different way of handling it. it. This is asking them questions. If they make a statement, we're not on the hot seat to refute what they say or to even prove something, a point that we didn't make in the first place. We can ask, draw them out and ask them further questions. It's friendly. It is relaxed. And you are not on the hot seat to prove points you didn't make. And and people appreciate being asked questions because have you noticed in our society that we talk at each other a lot and we talk past each other and we shout past each other and nobody's asking you, Kathy, you make a statement and And what what is the person on the other end of your conversation about ready to do? They just want to make their point right back at you. Instead of asking you more questions, well, doesn't that make us all feel nice when people actually ask us more questions about what we just said instead of getting ready to, we're not even listening to what they said, we're just getting ready in our own head with the point that we're about to make. And it's so much nicer that way. It's nicer for the other person, and it's relaxing. I actually had a, a three-hour long conversation with someone this week about, about spiritual matters. The whole conversation was so relaxed. I, I didn't feel one ounce of stress, and neither did he. Because, and, and he and I did not agree on anything. And we didn't agree on anything at the end of the conversation either. But both of us were entirely relaxed because I knew going into the conversation that I wasn't going to be trying to refute all of his points. All I was going to be doing was asking him questions. and. I was going to be drawing him out and later on as I'll as I'll get to I was going to be asking questions to expose weaknesses in what because I knew I knew some of what he was going to tell me and I was going to be asking questions to prove a point. So we are going to have a few model questions and we are going to be using later on techniques to ask questions to make points and to advance your own point. But a person is much more likely to be receptive to really what you wanna get across if they come to it themselves. And instead of you saying, no, you're wrong and here's why, if you can ask them questions and get them thinking, because I guarantee you, most people, Christian and non-Christian alike, have not thought about what they're saying, have not thought about why they believe what they believe, have and you ask them a few questions and you're you are, it is so loving because you're getting them to think about the things they've never actually thought about before. Most people pick up their worldviews accidentally. They they might listen to a song and think, oh yeah, that's true. Or they might watch a TV program and think yeah, yeah, they're right about that. And and consciously or subconsciously, they just sort of pick it up here and there over time. And they have this odd, you know, uh, Greg, Greg Kokel, when he, when he talks about worldviews, he usually brings a, a, a puzzle, an actual puzzle. And he says, a worldview is like a puzzle, and it's got all these puzzle pieces, and then he dumps it out on the floor. <laughs> And he says, this is what people's worldviews usually look like. And he and I'm not, I am not. was not about to do that because I didn't want to clean up a big mess. But if you'll imagine that, a bunch of puzzle pieces, and when you just dump it out on the floor like that, well, not only is it not organized, but you can miss pieces. You might pick up pieces from other worldviews that don't fit in your worldview, but you don't really realize it because you're just sort of stumbling along. Everyone has a worldview. The question is, is yours intentional or is it accidental and and doesn't really fit together? So the point I want to make before we get into this is that all of this, what I'm going to be teaching you, can be used with very little information on your part. You don't need to know a lot of stuff. In addition, you don't need to feel pressure to close the deal. A lot of uh, evangelism, which I consider apologetics to be evangelism, especially in our culture today. That's how I've always viewed it. In a lot of evangelism, there is this pressure to get to the cross, get to the cross, get to the cross, get to the cross. Well, we're all in different places. Some of us are gardeners, some of us are waterers, and our position depends on how the Lord wants to use us in that conversation. And it is, the, it is, again, the Holy Spirit that is the one that brings the increase. So we can do our part in that conversation and leave it up to the Lord. We don't have to, we don't have to jam the cross into a conversation where the person is clearly not ready and not interested. We can, we can take the conversation as far as it goes and leave it and wait for the next conversation to happen, and the next conversation, because it is the Lord that will do it. So the first question that we're going to get into is, uh, is Greg refers to them as Columbo questions. Now, some of you have watched these, the former TV series Columbo. It's just called Columbo, right? Yeah. I, I, will, I will admit I've never seen it before. <laughs> I've never seen it. I, I mean, I've seen the guy, right? Um, and and Greg, if you if you come to the Apologetics Conference, I mean, he brings the trench coat. He brings a cigar. He does the whole thing. And and the thing about Columbo for the for all of us who haven't seen it is he was a detective, and he'd sort of act like a bumbling kind of. He didn't really know he'd he'd uh, cause everybody around him to relax because he didn't seem aggressive. He didn't seem in your face, and then he'd say, you know. So there's something about this that doesn't make sense to me in this crime scene, and I, and I just don't know. I, will you help me out a little bit? And then he'd ask a question, and they weren't expecting anything. And then he'd ask a question. And then he'd ask a question. And then he'd ask a question and another question until until he had gotten everything he wanted out of the person. So these are so Greg refers to these as Columbo questions. You'll you'll uh, run across these. So what is the first Columbo question? The first one is. What do you mean by that? Now, this is a model question. This is not, you don't have to use this question. Um, let's say, for example, I, I, uh, am, I run across a, a Muslim woman, or, or who I assume to be a Muslim woman. She has a hijab on. And I might say to her, in conversation, again, I, I, don't, I don't manufacture things. I don't go up and make things awkward and, and insist on talking to people. But if I'm in conversation, I might say, is your, is, your, is your hijab a cultural statement, or it, does it have religious significance? Now, I'm not saying, what do you mean by that, but I am saying, what do you mean by that? I'm saying, why are you, tell me, tell me more about that. Are you wearing this because, because your culture, you want to honor your culture, or are you wearing it out of your religious convictions? And that gets, that gets that conversation flowing. So when, when we say, what do you mean by that, it doesn't have to be that question. What do you mean by that? What we're really getting at is, what do you believe? That's really the point of this question. What is it that you believe? When, they make, when they're making statements, they're the ones that are making statements, and you're asking these, these questions back to them. What do you mean by that? This can, be used, this can be used in so many ways. And the next question, too, um, that I'm gonna get at, that when, when they are making statements to you, again, you don't need to feel the pressure to, to answer the statements that they're making, or the accusations, or the charges, et cetera. When they say, when they say um, I can't believe in God because there's not enough evidence. You can say, well, what do you you mean by evidence? What would suffice for evidence for you? And by the way, this is a great question, really great question to ask anyone who says this because usually the evidence game is a moving goalpost. You can, they'll say, I don't have enough evidence. And then you can present this evidence and they can dismiss that. And then you can present this evidence and they can dismiss that. And so, find out in advance what do you consider evidence. I, I think it was—I um, want to say it was Richard Dawkins, but I could be wrong on this. One of the new atheists that he was asked, "What would you consider? What would you consider evidence?" And he said, "If God, if God showed up and wrote in the sky, and then he and then he said this long, complex, you know." It was just something absurd that you think, all right, if you're going to play that game with me. But most people are not. Most people are not like that, that they're going to just be difficult with you. But find out that is, it's a great question to ask them, what do you consider to be evidence? What do you mean by that? Um, um, You're going to run into people who say the Bible is full of contradictions. In fact, here's some here's some right here. The Bible's full of contradictions. Well, can you tell me a little bit more? What do you mean by contradictions? And do you have any examples of, you know, help me out here? We're not saying that there are no contradictions, but remember, they're the ones that make the statement, so it is not your job to then come in and say, oh, no, 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 the Bible doesn't have contradictions, and let me prove it to you. They're the ones that made the statement. Say, what, well, what do you mean by contradictions? And I, and I will tell you, just full disclosure, this is a difficult thing to do, to to remember to ask the questions instead of just plunging right in with information, especially when you have information. This conversation I was telling you guys about that I had earlier this week, before we had the conversation, we had been f- messaging via Facebook, and uh, he was sending me these YouTube videos to watch, and I don't have time to watch all these YouTube videos, but. I tried watching one of them, and I'm taking notes as I'm writing them or as I'm watching this YouTube video on all the things that are wrong with it and the historical accuracies. And then I write him this long Facebook message in reply, well, it's historically inaccurate, and here's why, and here's what really happened, and blah, blah, blah. And after I sent it, it was was about 15 minutes after I sent it, I thought, I'm going to be teaching on tactics next week on asking questions. And I just, hmm. <laughs> so it's an easy trap to fall into the the trap of, of feeling the stress to answer all the questions, especially when you have answers. But it's so much better to draw them out. And to you young ladies that are in here, this, this works like a charm because aren't conversations and interactions stressful and awkward to begin with, and people love it when you ask them about themselves, and it's, so, it's just so much easier that way. So, um, I want to move on to the next question, because we can, we can work with both of these at the same time. The next question is, how did you come to that conclusion? What you're really getting at here is, why do you believe what you believe? The first question is, what do you believe? This one is, why do you believe what you believe? So again, this is a model question. You don't have to use this exact question, um, but, but this is what you're getting at. And this is what we call reversing the burden of proof. If the one who makes the claim bears the burden. You do not. If you are making all sorts of, or if they, if they are telling you all sorts of things, if they are saying, I can't believe in a God, there's so much evil in the world. I can't believe in a good God. If they're saying the Bible has too many contradictions. If they're saying um, God, God in the God of the Bible committed genocide, and I can't believe in a God like that. If they they want to make all sorts of claims, it is not your responsibility to disprove what they just said. You can just let that go and relax. The one who who makes the claim bears the burden, not you. um, I'm referencing that conversation that I had again this week. He was making all sorts of claims about Jesus. Jesus... Um really he said, Jesus was a yogi who attained spiritual enlightenment and we can we can do what Jesus did. We can attain spiritual enlightenment too if we do the personal inner work that Jesus did. And and I'm listening to this, I'm listening to this. Now, you know, I, I can I can talk to him about the Gospels, and I can talk to him about the difference between the, the Gospels in the New Testament and the Gnostic Gospels that he likes to read in the Nag Hammadi Library, and I can talk to him about the dating and why ones ended up in the, in the canon and others didn't, but I said, uh, I said, can you tell me how you came to that conclusion about Jesus? How, how, how did you, how did you arrive at that, that, that this is who Jesus was, and this is what, what he did? And his answer was, uh, his answer was um, an undeniable knowing. Now, of course, you can't really go anywhere with that, because it's, it's just subjective. It's just 100% subjective, and, and he admits that. Uh, but the thing is, he would not have listened to me if I just pummeled him with information, and it was so much more relational and interactive for me to just ask him questions and draw him out and deal with things that way and i 've had enough interaction with him that he he knows that I do know the actual what you know what happened because we did have some we did have some interactions on the Council of Nicaea and Constantine and and uh, you know his assertions that the Gnostic gospels were just so popular, and and they were just squelched and burned, and etc. Of course, they were burned, and that's why they exist today. Um, <laughs> but but it was just so much more relaxed to be able to ask him these questions. How did you come to that conclusion? I must have asked him that question fifty times in the conversation. Just, I mean, it was a three-hour conversation, so there was a lot of a lot of most of the time. Most of that conversation was him talking, and then me asking further questions, and him talking, and me asking further questions. And I was relaxed, and he was relaxed. So, this can be used. This can be used in so many different ways. Here are some objections that you'll see. That if you haven't run into these, some of these yet, and this is just, I mean, a smattering you're going to if you haven't run into objection these objections you will and um and you will run into more in fact these are just some of the some of the very popular ones so let's let's talk a minute about the first one which is I mean, in today's day and age of, of postmodernism, and, and I'll get into that in a few weeks, what postmodernism is, but in postmodernism, we, we, it's, it, the idea of the gospel being exclusive is highly offensive to people. And people want to say, you know, all religions are basically the same. Oh, are they? Can you... Can you tell me how you came to that conclusion, and can you, can you give me some reasons as to why that's the case? Now, of course, they're not going to be able to because it's simply not, not the case. I mean, there can either be one God or many gods, but there can't be one God and many gods at the same time and in the same way that violates the law of non-contradiction. So what I'm going to ask you to do right now because this is important that we get at least a few minutes of practice in this. I am going to ask you guys to break up into groups, can be large groups, small groups, but practice these for just a couple minutes. Just a couple minutes. I know this is uncomfortable, but it is really good to get this initial practice right now but I'm only giving you a couple minutes because then we have to come back and get moving again. So break up into, into small groups, use these as, as objections or objections that you know of and just practice this. What do you mean by that? How did you come to this conclusion? You've got three minutes, go. <laughs> How'd that go? Did you, guys, did you guys presenting the objections, did you say it like you meant it? I mean, did you get in their face, and did you, did you asking the questions, were you just relaxed, said, now, what do you mean by that? Do you see how easy this is? You can do this all day long. And it's just easy. Now, if the conversation that you're in starts to peter out, just let it die a natural death. It's okay. You don't have to, keep going and keep going and keep going because again it's the holy spirit that changes hearts not you it's not up to you to to force things to happen just take it where it will and let it go and then wait for the next opportunity to arise this this doesn't have to be difficult or com- complicated and here's the other thing it's it can be stressful a lot of times we want to avoid this, these kind of conversations because we're afraid, well, what if the person presents a whole bunch of information that I don't know? Well, guess what? You can say that. You can say, you know, and, and if, they, you know, if they want answers out of you, you can say, gosh, you know, you obviously know a lot more about this topic than I do. Can, I, can you tell me some more about it and I can do some research? Because, you know, I don't know. That's okay. Cuz we don't know everything. We don't have to pretend to know everything and we don't have to present ourselves as knowing everything. It's okay. And and you know what? You'll gain credibility with them instead of instead of giving them some answer that is clearly not true that they might then later find out is not true and then and then you will have lost credibility with them because they'll just think, oh, well, she's just making up answers on the spot. He's just making up answers on the spot. They're not a trustworthy source. So it's okay. It's all okay. Yeah, Kathy. Little mm-hmm. things that they've seen. Your puzzle pieces. Right. I was just throwing out my puzzle pieces. Mm-hmm. And it made me realize, just for saying that, it made me realize that I wasn't on that solid ground. And so maybe the other person isn't either. That's a great point, Kathy. That's, that, it's a great point for everybody to keep in mind what, what uh, Kathy said, is that it, 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 with her interaction, it really brought home and it brought it to light the the shaky ground that she felt herself on and it made her realize the other person's probably on equally shaky ground when when they're making assertions to you absolutely true absolutely true no right and that's the that's the that's the beauty of asking questions is that they don't look at you as the bad guy for exposing their ignorance they, y- because you don't have to say a thing. Just by you asking questions, you're just asking questions and they inside feel it. They feel that they don't have the answer to the questions that you're asking. And then after the conversation, they can go and they can think about, oh gosh, I, I didn't have any good answers for these questions that were asked. Maybe I ought to do more thinking. Maybe I ought to do more research. Yes, that would be good for everyone, for everyone. So, there, So for this, I want to move on to the third question that, that it's... The third question is not actually a model question, but this one, if you, if you, again, get in the habit of asking questions, and if you start listening carefully to the things that they're saying, um, this one is going to be so invaluable, This the, what you're gonna be getting at. So question number three is not a model question. It is simply asking questions to expose a weakness, or to make a point, or to get clarification. I know I didn't add the, the other ones on there. But you can ask questions to make points. You don't have to, you, I don't encourage you to appear like you're asking questions to make points, because then, then they will immediately become suspicious of you and, and not appreciate what you're doing, because they'll think that you're just trying to make a fool of them, which you're not. This is not about making anyone appear foolish or feel foolish or, or feel uncomfortable. But you can, you can um, use questions to make points. You can definitely use questions to get clarifications, because all the time, people make ambiguous statements. And if you make assumptions of what they actually mean, you may be heading down a wrong direction, and they didn't actually mean what they... They didn't... By saying what they said, you're assuming one thing, and they meant something else. So it's always great to ask clarification questions. So this I mean the 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 sky's the limit when it comes to this. And here here's a few examples. So um again in in this most recent conversation that I had this past week he claimed a, And again, I'm telling you, he just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked, so I just took note of what he was saying. I just listened carefully. I wasn't getting ready to make my point. I was listening to him, and I was going to ask him questions, so I I took note of all of this. At one point in the conversation, he claimed that all good and bad is an illusion. Good and bad or good and evil is an illusion, So I noted that. I'm just just listening to what he says. Then, later in the conversation, he says that he has a strong sense of justice and fairness. Now, that I can see immediately, and I can tell that you guys could too, there is a problem here. Because if there's no such thing as good and bad, what is there to feel just just or unjust about. There is no justice and there is no fairness because there's just, so I was able to ask him questions and questions and questions. And this one took a while because he, I I was trying to get out of him, what did he mean by justice? What did he mean by fairness to, and, and I had to ask him so many times. he, He didn't, he would tell me it was a vague question and I needed to be more specific. So it was, it was a challenge to, to even understand what he meant by justice if he acknowledges this and this and they don't, they don't match. I had another conversation with someone, I, and I love these conversations, you guys. These, I, I live for these conversations, they're so fun. So I was having a conversation with another guy a, a while back and he said to me, the, the conversation started with him telling me that he believed that the devil was an invention by religious people to to trap people and to and to let people who do things wrong off the hook. Basically, I know, I know, <laughs> I saw that look. Yes, um, to. The devil doesn't actually exist. The devil is just an invention by religious people to, and, and I could tell that he had this Roman Catholic background and that he, he had this idea that if you just, um, if you go into the priest and you confess your sins, well, that's it. You, you can do whatever you want and you can confess your sins to the priest and you're off the hook. So instead of me giving him answers, as to why this is incorrect, and of course, how are you gonna prove the devil exists anyway? I mean, so I just asked him questions. I said, well, tell me, how, how did you come to this conclusion that, that religious people invented the devil? And he was able to explain some things to me, and then, and then later on, as the conversation progressed, It was apparent he had this really strong sense of justice, which is why it bothered him that religious people would invent the devil so that people could get off the hook of, of they could do whatever they want and not have to pay for their crimes. So I was able to ask him further questions about his sense of justice, and if there's no God, how is there any sort of justice whatsoever? And how do you feel about Hitler apparently getting off the hook if he just dies and there's no ultimate justice? Then I was able to just ask him questions and ask him questions. And, and at one point he says, uh, him being an atheist, he's also a materialist. And all that means is he doesn't believe that there's anything non-material in the world. There's no spirits, there's no invisible heaven, there's certainly no invisible God. And when he said this, I said, well, do you have thoughts? And and he just gave me a quizzical look. Well, yeah, I have thoughts. I said, where are they? I said, if there's nothing material, where are your thoughts? Are, do you, can I crack your head open and see them there? And And he didn't know where to go with that because he had never thought about that before. But I wasn't telling him, materialism is false, and here's why, even though I could have. I could have, but it's so much better to just ask questions. I had another conversation with a guy who, um, sadly, he is a new non-believer. He, he, not through, there wasn't like one straw that broke the camel's back, but just over time, uh, raised in the church, and he um, Never, he never had any experience of God. He said that he prayed all his life and he said he just came to the conclusion eventually about a year and a half ago that, well, there just must not be a God. And so um, he reached out to me knowing that I love apologetics and he wanted to have some dialogue with me and he wanted to hear why why I Why I find the Christian faith to be true, and what is it that I find to be true? Well, morality and the problem of evil is a big, big thing in our culture today. we, We all have this problem with so much evil in the world. There's so much evil in the world. That is why I can't believe in a good God. How can there be a good God with so much evil in the world? Now, he didn't happen to be saying this, but... He lives in the world and he knows, he knows all these things. He knows what's going on. And so I wanted to ask him about morality and how do you, how, on, a, on an atheistic, materialistic worldview, how do you square with morality? And how do you square with that sense of justice that we all have? We see things that are going on in the world that we all know about and it galls us and we are upset about it, where did that come from? We all know. We all may not be upset about equally the same things in the same way, but we all know, and we all know this thing is right, this thing is wrong. We know that when you torture babies for fun, that is wrong, and that is an evil thing to do. Where do you get that from? His answer? Evolution tricked us into believing it. And I said to him, again, more questions. I'm, I'm, not, going to, I'm not going to respond and, and tell him that's true or false or give him answers. I'm gonna say, but, I, so are you telling me that selling children into sex trafficking is not actually wrong? There's nothing about that thing that is wrong. It's just evolution tricks us into thinking that it's wrong because, it, because it's not good for human flourishing and to get our genes, our DNA into the next generation. That's, and he actually had to acknowledge that, yes, that was his position. Now, was a, I wasn't trying to trap him. I was trying to get more information out of him and to, and to get him to come to the end, the logical conclusion of where his worldview was taking him. And he, he was okay with that. He, at least he seemed to be okay with it. I don't know if he was internally okay with it, but he seemed to be okay with it. But... but most people don't get that far. Most people, most people are fine with, oh well, um, you know, th- this is th- our morality and our sense of justice is just a product of evolution, it's just how we evolved, and it's just so that we don't go around killing each other uh, because that's not good for our, for our society if we're all just murdering each other all the time, so that's just how we evolved. But if you ask them questions, and really get them to see, so rape isn't actually wrong, it's just that we shouldn't do it because evolution tells us not to do it, because it's not good for human flourishing. That doesn't seem to make sense to anyone. I mean, people can tell themselves that story, but deep down inside, we know the thing is wrong. We know that in and of itself is wrong. It's not a personal preference. That thing is wrong, and we know that. So asking questions can get them, can get them to think about that at least, even if they're not willing to, to acknowledge that yet. All right, we're coming to the end, so I just want to give you a few more, a few more examples of ways that you can play this out in, in the real world. So, have any of you ever had somebody tell you, you shouldn't push your morality on me, or Christians shouldn't push their morality on others, or, you know, those kind of things? Well, just say, why not? Why not? And of course, that's going to catch them off guard because they're, they're used to, th- this is a common thing people say, you shouldn't push your morality. Well, why not? And they'll say, well, because it's wrong. And you can say, well, then why are you pushing your morality on me? Because that's exactly what they're doing. That is their morality, that you shouldn't push your morality on me. Well, they're pushing their morality on you, so you can just ask them. This isn't clever. This isn't some sleight of hand that you're trying to trick them or anything. It's just, again, it's getting them to to think. The Bible is just a bunch of myths that grew up over time. Oh, Can can you... Tell me, how'd you come to that conclusion? Well, because it has miracles in it. And? Well, science has proven that miracles can't happen. Oh, has it? Can you explain to me how, just precisely how science has proven that miracles can't happen? So, again, you're not responsible to to show them how they're wrong, why they're wrong, just ask them questions. How can there be a God with so much evil in the world? You can easily just respond to them, how can there be evil with no God? Really, and and a lot of people, this will trip people up a little bit because they haven't thought about it, but if there's no God, there's no standard for right and wrong in the first place, so everything just breaks down to a personal preference at that point but but they really haven't they really haven't thought about that, so asking questions is really great. We have to wrap it up now because I'm past time. Um, but I wanted to ask if any of you have any questions before we before we finish up? Yes, Bob.
1: The thing that's striking to me is that um, we are asking a lot of questions, and it also seems like at least in the role-playing that you're doing, there are opportunities to provide some answers. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the approach that, and the tactic that you're, that you're describing and advocating, where is the point where you make the decision to, uh, to offer truth, not just simply stir their minds um, in their own, yeah, the, the foundation of their thinking?
0: Uh, that is such a great question, Bob. Ultimately, it's really up to you. It's it's up to each one of you in every conversation. I think questions offer the best technical advantage in a conversation because it it takes all the pressure off of you and it puts it back onto the other person. But at any point, at any point, you can offer answers, reasons, etc. I do that. I don't. When I'm in conversations with people, I don't. One hundred percent of the time ask questions because I do want to offer thoughts to them as well, and we ought not discount the Holy Spirit in this as well. I, while I was having this conversation this week, I was praying during the conversation i was I knew it was going to happen. I was praying beforehand at, during and after and asking the Lord to bring to my mind, okay so when when ought I interject with something. When, when should I, you know, and Lord, give me wisdom while I'm, while I'm speaking to this person. And so it, it's, it's really up to you as an individual. Again, there's, there's no pressure and there's no hard and fast rule of you have to ask questions 90% of the time and only offer thoughts 10% of the time. Just
1: one, one quick thought about that is that um, sometimes you can ask them, or say, I've got a, I've got a thought about that. Would you be interested in hearing it? It's mm-hmm. another question yeah. that gets permission to engage the other side of the argument, and now uh, the argument, the case, and, uh, and and I think that can often bring down walls too, in terms of or barriers in terms of the conversation.
0: It definitely does, and um, I didn't I didn't have time to get into it today. But in the in the book that I referenced at the beginning, in the tactics book, he. He has a tactic called the steamroller tactic, and it's for dealing with steamrollers, where that is one of the questions that you ask when you're dealing with a steamroller is asking their permission. When they're steamrolling you in the conversation and you ask their permission, hey, can can I finish my thought? Can I say this? Can I say that? Those kind of questions are really great for as you said, Bob, bringing down walls and, and just continuing on in that amicable, relaxed way. Well, um, oh, yeah, Theo. In these conversations, does your primary objective change,
1: depending on the situation who you're talking to? Because I'm thinking of times when Jesus spoke to people, mm-hmm. and for example, his approach with the Pharisees mm-hmm. was... Yes. And when he spoke to people that needed the gospel and right. believed. Yeah. So when you're having these conversations, sometimes are you thinking, with this person I'd love to see a change of heart versus another person. I just want to point out their inconsistencies.
0: Well, I mean with every person, and that's that's such a great point. And Jesus definitely had different ways of dealing with the Pharisees versus versus people that he was trying to reach in, in other ways. Um, but in every case, I, if I'm dealing with a non-believer, I want to change their heart or I want their heart to change. It, that is to say, I'm not, I, I'm, I can't say I've ever been in a situation where I've only wanted to point out inconsistencies. Ultimate, the ultimate thing that I care about in the person is them knowing Christ. And so I want everybody's heart to change, whether, whether, I'm wanting to point out inconsistencies or not. Pointing out inconsistency, or helping them to see inconsistencies, to me is a very loving thing. And so I'm, I'm never in this, oh wow, I, man, I want them to see their inconsistencies in this. Even though you do, but it's because you love them. And so ultimately, I think, I think my goal is always the same, for their for their heart to be changed and for them to know Christ regardless of how you're going about doing it. But that is, so that is a great question. Brett.
2: I just want to sneak in one other, couple of thoughts. I was led to Christ through a man who, <clears throat> I would pepper him with questions. He didn't know the answers. He would go home and talk to his Christian wife and Christian mother-in-law. And the next day at work, he would come back and say, well, this is what they told me. Mm-hmm. So like the whole questioning, not knowing the answer in the moment, The Holy Spirit, to your point, still uses that because a month later I was asking Jesus to save me, Mm -hmm. um, even though he didn't have all the answers handy. And the second one is Ascension being a safe place to practice. We don't all agree on every doctrine exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Even though there's a confession that binds us together, you can practice. Well, why, why do you believe that it's okay to baptize babies or... So you think the gifts are still for today? How do you how do you believe that? Like we can have that safe interaction here knowing we're not going to judge each other or bail on each other, Lord willing. Um, and especially for our kids that they can ask us these questions Absolutely. and we don't shut them down so that the secular professor in college fills in the blanks that we didn't try to. Anyway, thank you.
0: Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And Keep in mind, uh, w- I taught this specifically at the beginning because I'm going to be inculcating this in all future lessons. So when in the future lessons, when I am teaching facts, the actual facts, I'm going to be bringing this in so that we can be reminded of how to use this as time goes on. And it won't just be at the beginning and then, oh, I forgot about that questioning thing uh, by, by the end of the, of the lesson. Next week, when we, when, when we talk about the resurrection and evidence for the resurrection, we're gonna be talking about, we're going to be adding this in because you think people have objections to the idea of the resurrection? you think people object to the idea that Jesus actually raised from the dead yes there are objections and you can respond with questions so we'll be talking about evidence for the resurrection and adding this component this questioning component in it as well so I have to wrap up uh, because it's about time for church to start so let's pray Father, thank you. Thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to to be able to be conformed more to the image of your son. And I ask that you would prepare our hearts and minds for your triumphal entry into Jerusalem this morning. And by your spirit, let us say Hosanna in the highest in Jesus name. Amen.